Great science fiction is about more than escapist fantasies of starships and exotic aliens fighting battles in distant galaxies beyond our solar system. In the proper hand, science fiction can help us reimagine our own reality in subversive ways, provide insightful social commentary about the real world we inhabit every day. Augmented, Volume 1, is a new collection of great science fiction stories that invite us to take a closer look at ourselves and the world around us. Our contributors examine the futility of war, the dangers of xenophobia, the importance of caring for our environment, the risks associated with technology, the rise of artificial intelligence, and they remind us of all the ways we can lose our humanity if we're not careful. These 19 stories are thrilling, mind-bending, frightening, thought-provoking, and sometimes hilarious snapshots of life in at least one of our possible futures. We hope you find something to love about all of them. Augmented, Volume 1, a short story anthology of great science fiction stories available now on Amazon. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is Not Church with John and Nat Turney. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast in all of its uh, frivolity. And what's another word, good word for frivolity? I'm not a walking, I'm not a walking thesaurus. Sure. Gaiety. Gaiety. Okay, well, sure. That works we for me. Um, But this is the podcast. Uh, we call this, this is not church because as we, as we like to, to, to remind you that if this was church, you would have left by now. And actually, in this case, you might have left about five minutes ago. <laughs> I got really triggered, John, on this last little um, speaking engagement that I... Okay, this last little... The one speaking engagement I did. I make it sound like I have this string of speaking engagements. But the most recent one, which was the only one, but it was actually held in a church. And I was like, oh, gosh. And it was a nice church. It was a cool church, nice people, but I was still triggered as hell just walking into a traditional church space. And I was I like, can get that. Yeah, I, get that. I don't know about this anymore, but it was fun because it was with Keith and we did the whole, you know, it was the whole Awaken Nashville thing with Jennifer uh, and all those guys. Well, all you do is um, you, you drop your first F bomb. And if, if the whole congregation does like a, a mutual, <gasps> you know, you're in the wrong place. No, trust me when I tell you, I was nowhere near the first F bomb. That happened within the first 10 seconds. It was like, <laughs> what's going on, all you fucking heretics? It was like, yeah, I'm in the right so spot. But um, we are, uh, we're joined as always by an amazing guest. I say always because really, Don, if we had a dud, I don't. No. Th- I mean, okay, no, we really maybe, haven't. but I won't name her. Wow, you no I'm kidding. I don't know that we have. We just, I, just, I had this place. I don't think we've. Every guest is just, yeah, man, no, it's, it's, just, been it's, great. it's pretty impressive. The the people. Here's what this leads me to believe: there are way more interesting people out there than you realize. There are Absolutely. way more interesting people if you just take the time. I feel like a Dr. Seuss book is about to erupt. Like, if you just take the time to look over there... Well, and they're willing to talk to boring people like us, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the shocking part. They're willing to talk to two middle-aged, white, heterosexual, cisgender men. So, right there... Well, I mean, speak for yourself. Oh, okay. <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Maybe this we will love. be a new kind of episode where secrets are revealed. Okay. Bum, bum, bum. Nah, none of mine. But anyway, I've done all that build up. Let's introduce our guest. What do you say? All right, let's do that. All right. Um, and by the way, I'm Nat, and the other guy is John. Um, say hello, John. Hello, John. I got so wrapped up in all the shtick we were doing, I actually forgot all of the actual introductions of the podcast. It's like, like you like to say, uh, if they have clicked on this button and don't know what they're listening to, then is that really on us? No, at this point, no, it's really not. We're 150 something episodes deep. If you don't know what you're getting into, I don't feel like apologizing anymore for what's about to happen. You have done this to yourself. You have only yourself to blame. But Brandon Flannery, on the other hand, is innocent in all of this and has just been nice enough to appear on the show. So um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take it easy. But Brandon Flannery is an ex-pastor, ex-missionary, ex-evangelical, Ex-evangelical. Can you put those two things together? Just ex-evangelical? I, I do. All the time. I yeah. Like sure. For clarity, uh, who, we wrote it that way so people understand what we're talking about. But I mash them together all the time. I do too. I think it's... I like to mash lots of things together. But um, mm, that one works particularly well. Ex-evangelical, who writes about the tenuous intersection of faith and sexuality. He's conducted research on why people are leaving Christianity and is published with The Scribe, Baptist News Global, the University of Colorado, and the Colorado Springs Indie. In addition to writing, he co-founded the LGBTQ plus Christian dating app, uh, Believer, and believe, uh, to believes and lives in Atlanta. You might also believe in Atlanta. I don't know. 
but you live there. We're getting there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Atlanta's got a ways to go, but they're farther down the road than some. Yeah, very true. Give me Atlanta over like Tallahassee any day of the week, man. Oof. Anyway, uh, his books, Stumbling, a sassy memoir about coming out of evangelicalism is available now where all fine books are sold. First of all, welcome to the podcast. Second of all, I love that title of that book. That's amazing. A, a sassy <laughs> memoir. I have. I wanted to write a sassy memoir. They wouldn't let me. Um, I don't know that I'm actually capable of writing anything remotely sassy, but Welcome to the podcast, Brandon. How are you? Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Nat, for that introduction. And John, thank you so much, both of you all, for ha- having me here. And um, yeah, excited to chat, have a good conversation. And to, that that phrase, sassy, was like little fun fact. I don't know if I've shared this on any podcast yet. It was like thrown in kind of on a whim with my publisher. We were like wordsmithing the 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 title and like, I had to come up with something and wrote it down. And I like the word sassiest like came out as we were writing. I'm like, that might work. And then it is like the word that has been like people really love when it comes to talking about the book. They're just like, oh, I love this. Like, and with my voice on TikTok and stuff like that, like that's definitely my energy. And so here we are. I like literally just threw it out there and now it's stuck in. Wait, and now it couldn't be anything else, right? It couldn't I mean, be anything else. Couldn't be like a sanctimonious <laughs> memoir or a, or a sacrilegious <laughs> memoir. No, it's sassy, damn it. 100%. Grab a hold, embrace the sassiness of it all. I actually had a cat named Sassy once upon a time. Probably everybody did at one point. I don't know. It seemed like a pretty common name for cats at one point. John, yeah, I never did. you Sorry. can't shake your head though because your wife is very creative about the names of y'all's cats. Oh, true, true. Absolutely. So when she, when she names cats like Snickerdoodle, I mean, come on, man. Well, the the, fu- the funniest. Uh, okay, this is completely off off topic, but I'll say it anyway. So, the funniest cat's name that we have is my my wife's older cat that she has right now. Her her name is Magawan. And long story short, I had to book a hotel for my wife and Nat and my sister Kara uh, in Santa Rosa. And I told them, I was like, "Hey, I booked you a hotel. It's on this street called Magawan in Santa Rosa." And so they look it up and they write back to me. It's like, it's not Magawan, it's McGowan. Because I apparently <laughs> can't speak Scottish or Irish. <laughs> and you were of Irish descent and you mispronounced McGowan. And I am of Irish descent and I mispronounced McGowan. So as, as, a, as a commentary on my stupidity, she named one of her cats McGowan because I can't pronounce Ma- uh, uh, or Magawan because I can't pronounce McGowan. <laughs> it's okay. I was, uh, there used to be a comic strip years ago. It was like a one panel comic strip, probably still exists, but maybe not. Kind of a far sidey kind of cartoon. And for years and years in my head, I only heard the word of the title. I never thought to try and figure out how to pronounce it. And I'm, I was at work one day talking to one of my bosses and I'm like, Hey, have you read uh, the, uh, the comic strip today? This non sequitur? It's non sequitur, John. It's non sequitur. <laughs> In my brain, it was non sequitur for a long time, and now it seems like something vaguely dirty. Uh, so we're just gonna, <laughs> so we're just gonna go down mispronounced words. No, I'm gonna stop now because Brandon's like, "What the fuck? And what are we doing?" I know, he's like, "I did not sign on for this." <laughs> he's so far. Talk about. I don't know. I went went down to went down the alley, asked some guy about a non sequitur, and he looked at me weird. <laughs> Wait, what we don't do that here, sir. <laughs> okay. Hey, Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit? actually about yourself. I mean, the, uh, the bios are always good, but tell us a little something about your, about your coming up and your, maybe your religious background. It, it sounds like you have one if you were coming out of evangelicalism. One would hope if I'm writing about it. <laughs> yeah, so give us, give us some background, man. Yeah. Uh, I like to say that the flavor of Christianity that I came from was like one step above speaking in tongues and one step below flaggers. So very charismatic. Oh man. Yeah, we'd see flaggers flaggers here or there, like, but they were spice. Like, it wasn't like a regular. Yeah, I forgot about the flaggers. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't. Like, it's locked in there. You got me tripping. (laughs) I'm thinking about them running up and down with the. Remember they used to run up and down the aisles of the. (laughs) Okay, I'm right there with you. I was there too, bro. Uh, like like roaring nineties, you got like the like national flags like up above hanging yet uh, oh, yeah. overhead. Went to a mega church. I actually went to Ted Haggard's church, uh, New Life Church in Colorado Springs. In Colorado, really? Did. Yeah, so that's where I grew up. I grew up in Colorado Springs, yeah. so, like focus on the family. Um, that's went crazy. to this private Christian school that my mom worked at. Um, like went to this mega church. So like my life was 
church. Like my mom was never the worship pa- sorry, the, the children's pastor, but she was every other name we use for leadership, like director and teacher and whatever. So I, I grew up in it, eventually ended up being a youth pastor for three years, was a missionary um, as well, did a Bible school in Texas. So I like to say that I drank deep of the evangelical uh, fire hydrant and really was committed to it and um, really started to doubt. And this is where the book comes in, where I started out as a missionary overseas. So um, this is 2013, 2014. Um, I had just finished up my time working with YWAM in Germany and in India. And with this flavor of Christianity they had that was like pretty close to uh, prosperity gospel, I was told like, if we pray, like things happen. And I was just seeing again and again that things were happening and some really horrible stuff, like a woman who's lame, like I'm trying to get her to stand up because it's like, Jesus said, if you'll stand up and believe, like you'll be saved. And she's like crying in my arms. Like my brother, also same thing, got into a severe car accident. We're praying and we're believing nothing's happening. And underneath it all, there's been this billowing of my sexuality that after I start to like really doubt, like really comes to the forefront where I'm like, I can't shake this anymore. And I don't understand why it's bad. I don't understand why I'm like the worst of sinners when I just like, it really took falling in love with someone where I'm like, I I actually don't see how this is bad. I think before this, I could say, oh, oh, you know, like this sex or like this, that or like my perception of, especially with my upbringing of LGBTQ individuals, like it was showcased in a way where you would see like a, a festival in San Francisco, like where it's the BDSM festival in, in San Francisco. And it's like, see their language that would be used to describe like LGBTQ people growing up for me would be like reprobates and like the worst of chief of sinners and abominations. And so these are the languages that I would hear and it would be showcased to me. And in my head, even though I had these attractions since I was very young, um, I would be terrified because I'm like, oh, I'm the worst. Because I'd hear Ted Haggard, even though he had an affair with a man later, preach about how horrible LGBTQ people are and how they need to turn to God. Um, my dad, like, if there'd be a queer character in a movie, we could watch like like Braveheart and Patriot where people are getting murdered and there's blood everywhere and, you know, uh, Mel Gibson's guts are being torn out. But like, there was a gay couple and like my dad who doesn't curse is like cursing, being like, oh, why do they have to put that shit in there? And so I was primed for a long time to be like, oh, this is this is really bad. It must be really bad. And then when I fell in love, and I'm like, I actually don't see what's bad about this. It really shook everything. And there's a lot of other stuff that goes in there too. But the biggest thing was kind of like the the um, straw that broke the camel's back, sort of the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, would be falling in love with a man. And where I was just like, I, I truly don't see what's wrong about this. And I can't not think like processes. And so like that was the catalyst for me processing the Bible and like looking at it at a real like um, objective perspective. Any other time I would bump into something I didn't like in the Bible, I would justify it. And I had these intellectual hoops I'd been trained to go through. And I went to Bible school and I can like synthesize all of it with a good hermeneutic. And like, but taking a step back and looking at it, I'm just like, this doesn't make sense anymore. Like, if I take a step back, there's things in here that I'm not okay with. Sure, it started with LGBTQ issues, but now I'm not okay with how the Bible's talking about women. Now I'm not okay with how I, we apparently believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but this God in the Old Testament is commanding genocide. And there's also like genocide coming up in Revelations. Like, and we believe in that God, but how does that God look the same as Jesus? And so all these things started to like fall apart for me and it really did a, a reckoning for me. And um, the reason I ended up writing the book is because in 2020, I think it was a reckoning for a lot of people. I think that how evangelical Christianity reacted to Black Lives Matter and COVID and supporting Trump, those were all things that for most of my friends who have never questioned their faith before, now started questioning it. Where they're just like, how... I feel like Jesus would respond this way. Why do we think that how Jesus would respond is this horrible liberal woke thing? Why why are we why are we not with the marginalized? Because it seemed like Jesus would be with the marginalized. And for so many of my friends, that was the beginning for them. 
And for me, I had been the rubble of my faith for a good couple of years prior. (laughs) 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 And so I would be finding myself in a lot of conversations where I was just like, how did you navigate this? How did you move through this? What did you find? And so for me, it was just like, I don't have a ton of answers. I just have a really messy story. And maybe... And this is where the idea of stumbling comes in. Is like, maybe you could learn from my stumblings. Like, I've fallen into plenty of briars, like, but I've also found like this really glade that has given me hope where I feel like I've been refreshed by my soul. Um, and I also know like where there's going to be this little drop off that you don't see coming. And so I'm going to like tie a little flag. And if, if you want to use my story to help you make sense of yours, then it's a win for me. Because my ultimate goal with the book was just to help people to create space for someone to process and behold the story. I, I aimed to be more authentic, uh, maybe at a detriment rather than to cover for the sake of, here's my story. And in the words of Henry Nowen, who I quote at the beginning of my book, uh, from the wounded healer, like we, we, we get healing when we choose to expose our wounds and be like, this is what, what my story is. And my hope is that that's what will happen as my friends are still back in. I recently revisited Colorado Springs now living in Atlanta, but the fact that so many of my friends are still in that space of processing, um, being like, I don't know what I feel about all of this. I just got kicked out of my church. I just left my church. I don't know about the Bible. I don't know about this. So I, I wrote it for my friends and then ran into Lake Drive Books and they, they liked my book. So here we are. That's amazing. Henry Nowen, by the way, big fan. John and so I had the good. chance to uh, interview... Um, the woman who posthumously finished his last book. Oh, wow. Um, and she had the task of cobbling together wow. audio tapes and scraps of notes and wow. all kinds of stuff. Um, what was her name, John? Remember? Carol, Carol Whitney Brown? I think so. Yeah. The book was, uh, Flying, Falling, Catching. It was his, mm-hmm. uh, he toured with a, uh, with a, um, with a trapeze like a, group, like an acrobat what? troupe. An acrobat group. He did this yeah, for like a year. I know this about him. Wow. Yeah, so like he, the last several years of his life, yeah, wow. he'd take the story goes that he took his his aging elderly father. They were in France or Belgium, or something I think France, and took his father to see this troop of acrobats, and uh, was just mesmerized, just dumbfounded, and then actually found a way to meet them afterwards and began to befriend them, and for a good long time, literally got a like a like a RV and caravan with them, and so and he never knew what he wanted to do. He, he wanted to write a book about it, but he didn't know quite how to, how to approach it. Well, and also there was this, like this underlying, you know, cause there's always the, the, while he was alive, there was always this question of his, of his sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. um, I think there was a level of, of, a feeling of love towards the character of who this person was that the, the main, the main person in, in this group, the flying fault, the, the, I, I have the books on my my bookcase. It's, over it's there, a phenomenal book. If you ever get I'll a chance, check it out. Yeah, I didn't like. It's one of the handful of books I've read, like start to finish, like in one sitting. It was just hard to put down. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I was just gonna say it's just like I, if for what I know about him and the fact that he was fixated, where he was just like, I need to pick up and follow this troop, just sounds on brand for him. Yeah, I just it, didn't right, know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we and, yeah. and we got to talk with her about about him and his struggles to come to terms with his own sexuality because he. Because of who he was, and because of the tradition where he was, where he was working, and uh, he just was never free to be open about that. And we sort of wondered aloud, like, how much different would have this have been for him if he'd had the freedom to say, you know, well, this is just who I am. And um, I wanted to ask you. You said the sort of the the breaking point was falling in love, and that sort of struck me as like for so many anti people who are anti LGBT, right, homophobes, whatever you want to call them. They always focus in on the, on the sex. Like it's always about how that, and then they, they never move beyond that as though, as though maybe love is the beginning of that. And then whatever expression that love takes is, is something altogether different. We don't do this with heterosexuals. Like we're allowed to meet somebody and sort of fall in love with them and come to terms with the sexual part of that later, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems or not. I mean, how many times like where you're leading, I mean, the first time that you reach out to like connect with someone, it's because attraction, which is arousal, is the reason that you initially made that contact. So to to disregard them, just like, listen, like, sure, different stories happen where like we meet someone maybe like at a school or something like that and we get to know their personality and like that's what wins us over. But like, 
to disregard that that attraction and sexuality is not involved and therefore is not good. I'm just like, this is what brought the person into your life that you're now spending it with. True. Okay. Excellent so why point. should we disregard it? You know, how much more scary is that then? Because for all of us growing up, adolescence is a fucking minefield. Yep. yep. It's 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 scary as hell. And we've all gone through this. Any of us who are, you know, heterosexual, heteronormative, whatever however, however we want to say that, um, it's scary enough to to put yourself out there towards somebody and, and then risk rejection. Yep. But we never faced the possibility of backlash for the person that we, you know, like, okay, well, I reached out and they rejected me. Fine, they're not into it. And also, by the way, you're a horrible person for having asked. Yeah, like you're yeah. A, like. Well, by yep. the way, you're rotten to the core, and like the like like who you are as a fundamental person is is broken and wrong. And I think that's a lot of things. That's one of those things that 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 as I explore this topic more, and the more people I talk to, I'm finding I'm finding myself more and more trying to empathize and go, man, I just I can't wrap my head around that you know that extra layer of risk mm-hmm. that it takes mm-hmm. to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, you know, there, uh, with being in within the LGBTQ community, it's like you, I, I've been approached by lots of my straight friends to kind of answer questions for every letter in the alphabet. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not my experience. I'm not trans. I'm very cis. Like I, I feel like very comfortable in my gender, very comfortable in my body. And so it's just interesting because when non-binary is really coming to the forefront and it's like people were talking about it, having conversations. My initial reaction was one where it was like, well, I don't, un- I don't understand this. And then there was like this check within this conversation with myself where I was thinking, and how many straight people have assumed that they don't, because they don't understand it, it is, it's no longer valid. And so like, I was just like, yeah, I, I, it's not my experience. I don't feel non-binary at all. Like I feel very, like I said, very cis. And so it was this checking myself where it's just like, just because I don't understand someone's story and where they come from does not uh, empower me or allow me to justify my judgments and treat them differently. It It is an opportunity for me to be open and to seek understanding. And the words of the infamous Ted Lasso, famous Ted Lasso is to be curious rather than judgmental. It's just a phrase that has been so huge for me, especially I think Nowadays, where the divide is just, I just feel like the divide is between left and right. And, and uh, honestly, lots of different spaces. That's the most loud one where I just feel like we're so polarized that like, even with someone who it would be easy to label as my enemy because they're not for me, for example, with LGBTQ or even within church, like not understanding a pastor where they're coming from. Although I would say that I have a decent understanding since I used to sit in that seat uh, to, Instead, be curious rather than judgmental, even towards someone that's unwilling to give that to me within reason to make sure that I'm keeping myself safe. But it's definitely been something for me lately where it's like, I don't want to do the exact same thing that was done to me, even if it it costs me to an extent, because I think that's how we're going to make this world a better place is if we can all just be a little bit more empathetic. Well, and the truth is that always costs us. Yeah. If we're honest, right? I mean, and we... We go into this blindly. We think, well, I can do these things. It isn't just not going to cost me. No, everything's risky. Everything comes with a cost. Being human, authentically human, comes with a cost. And we just have to decide if that cost is worth it. You know? And I think some have made the calculation that it's not. You know, and that, that's heartbreaking to me that they're not willing. Like you said, I, I love that line about being curious, not judgmental. Because anytime I found myself in a space, and it's a lot, by the way, where I just don't understand. It started with with LGBTQ issues, it, 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 and, and what it, weirdly what it does, it sort of, sort of tracks with this moral majority. We've had this conversation with historians, right, where, where the, the moral majority, whatever they are, have shifted as enemies have changed, mm. as they've found that this, 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 this particular group no longer works as a good galvanizing enemy. We have to move on, right? And as, and as we've come to terms with, you know, they started, maybe they started out with, with being, you know, segregationists. That's, that's a losing battle. And moved on to abortion rights. That was sort of a galvanizing, coalescing issue. And that sort of, it seems to me, the new easy target enemy are trans folks. Absolutely. 100%. Like, because they, are, they, are, they are enough other. Mm-hmm. They are different enough that even within some of these other marginalized communities, they can go, yeah, but we don't, we don't get them either. Well, and that's the thing is like, I'm, what I'm seeing at, 
at times is, and I would first say that I don't think it's the majority, but I have seen in LGBTQ people, uh, even within LGBTQ spaces, I- I've seen like gay and lesbian individuals be like, uh, a trans have, have been terrible to trans individuals. And that's also our history. Like it's something that I've been not connected to. Um, and you, we have to do work to uncover that history just because history has a habit of being whitewashed and straightwashed and Christian washed. And so I'm accessing history that I wasn't aware of. And trans folks have been marginalized within the LGBTQ community from its inception. And I think it's specifically even with pride marches where um, the first pride was a riot and there were BIPOC trans women that were there um, that after advocating for the community were said you'd no longer have a seat. And so to see that even inside of LGBTQ spaces, trans folks are, are like you said, being galvanized against. I think that first off, I've been excited growing up that while I have experienced a lot of hardship as a result of my sexuality, that it has always felt more so that we are on each other's team. And so when I bumped into my first uh, trans individual, I had uh, ignorance because it wasn't my experience, but I, we could have a conversation and I immediately felt like I need to, I need to ally with them because like we're in this together. And so, um, even even when I didn't have all the understanding, like I still felt like this is important that we we stand on the same team. So to see that it's being fractured really breaks my heart because what it feels like is it makes me think of that quote. Gosh, and I don't know who said it, but they came for the communists and I said nothing. They came for the Jews and I said nothing. Um, and when they came for me, there was no one there. And it makes me think of that in particular because for LGBTQ individuals, specifically, obviously, gay, lesbian, bi individuals who are cis, who are not allying with our trans siblings, I think it's a horrendous detriment because it, I, it feels like we're snap, snapping at crumbs. And it's so, uh, why would you ally with our persecutor is the first thing. And two, I am so grateful for my trans siblings that I have in my life because I have learned so much. And when I say siblings, I mean at a broader perspective because they've taught me so much. It was a trans woman that really locked in the experience of a man is not even to the experience of a woman. Hearing her story and sharing how her life has changed and the amount of privilege she experienced when presenting as a man and being assigned male at birth and contrasting that to her story now, it really hit home for me. And it took a trans story to really understand that. Unfortunately, like I wish that it would have been, uh, it would have happened sooner. But like that really locked in thing, like that, that understanding for me later in life as a result of me broadening my exposure to difference. Cause being in Colorado Springs, it's very evangelical. It's very white. It's very straight. It's very military. And so doing work to like find difference is really what you have to do when you're in those spaces. Cause it doesn't naturally come. And, but I remember I was at a TED talk and a uh, mile high TED talk and that TED talk shook me in the best of ways for me to better understand the experience of a woman. I think of my non-binary friends who really have shown me that God, the divine, transcends gender. And I would not see that if it wasn't for my non-binary friends. I think of my trans, uh, a friend of mine who's a trans man and how he deeply feels that he is can do a beautiful job of loving his girlfriend because of his experience as a trans as a trans person and living in a trans body and i just i love their stories they challenge me they grow me they expand my understanding and to not bring our trans siblings into the fold of belonging it robs not just them but also us of very important understandings that we could be adding so much more color and flavor to our lives if we but open up ourselves to something that maybe we don't understand. No one's asking you to completely wrap your brain around. You're, if you're a cis person, maybe you don't get it. That doesn't doesn't change the fact that we can have empathy. It doesn't change the fact that we can seek to understand. You know, like I will never fully understand what it means to be in a black body, but I can listen. I will never fully understand what it means to be in a woman's body, but I can listen. And so 
to say that just because I can't wrap my brain fully around it as a justification to disregard is so disheartening. Um, but truly, like it truly breaks my heart, not just for trans folks, although that's where my heart most breaks for because they are paying the biggest price right now. I mean, I have friends that have literally had to move out of Tennessee as a result of legislation there and have to uproot their whole entire lives. But also the non-trans folks are missing out on beauty as a result of marginalizing this community. Yeah. Well, and I find it interesting because when you look at history, specifically through this, uh, and we talked about a little bit offline about this middle-aged, heterosexual, cisgender man, white man, us, and, I, and I'm one of them, so I have, to, I have to call myself out on this too. We continually choose or create a group of people to marginalize against to create a unity within our own people. So it started with poor white folks and poor black folks. And if we could get the poor white folks on our side, they would also hate the poor black folks, even though they were closer identified to each other than they were to the rich white folks. Yeah, against so, rebellion. <laughs> right. Like, so right, exactly. So we we create a system where the poor white folks can say, at least I'm not black. And then we have Hispanics against blacks. And they can say, at least the Hispanics can say, at least I'm not black. And as we can see, as we move through history, as that's not really going to work, then we go, we create a, a system of maleness and, and then we say, well, at least I'm not gay, mm-hmm. right? And then as that seems to be not really a good point, then we can say, well, at least I'm not trans. And we co- so what we do is we create a group of male, in huge quotes, maleness, right? Be it gay or straight. And then there's like, well, at least I'm not trans. And so I said for you, and you can look back on the old podcast where I said that abortion's always going to be the red button issue because as long as the Republicans have abortion as their fear factor, you'll vote for them. I don't ever see them ever changing Roe v. Wade because they need you to vote for them until they realize the LGBTQIA plus community was a better target. Well, and honestly, until they, until they sort of won. Right. Well, th- and they realized that if it, they didn't need to be on the abortion train anymore because they could go after LB, the LGBTQIA plus community. And as soon as they realized that was the community they could target, abortion became, they, they, they overturned Roe v. Wade, which we, mm. like I said, yeah. on, on our mm. podcast, I've said more than once, it will never be overturned because they need you to be afraid. Mm. So I have to like mm-hmm. now eat my mm-hmm. words, right? Because yeah. they did. Yeah. And the only reason they did is because they had a whole new group of people to attack. And we see that, sadly. And what's just crazy is I, I agree about the whole abortion thing because so many of my friends, it felt like they were kidnapped by that issue where it's, they couldn't, it's like, well, I can't, I can't not vote Republican because I can't be supporting the murder of, that's the language that would use, the murder of unborn kids. Exactly. And it's like, there's so many other things. And back to, if you're looking at the data, less abortions happen in liberal cities that you're getting access to all these contraceptives and education and services. But, but you're on this idealistic high horse where you're actually what you want, you're not even getting like we, we have data that supports it. Like, you know, in Colorado, it's become a, a refuge state. And the number one demographic of people seeking abortions right now in Colorado are people fleeing Texas. That it's not, it's not those in Colorado. Like that's not the number one people that are getting abortions in Colorado. It's literally abortion refugees coming to Colorado because their politics are not supporting them and they can s- sneak away, get a pill and then come back over the border. And like, luckily Colorado has created some legislation to protect those individuals when they return to Texas. But it just goes to show like, this is going to happen. Like it's been happening since the dawn of time. Why don't we protect women and their agency and save life, like truly save lives rather than this idealistic high horse. And I, I agree with you. It, it, it was, it is an issue that has, kidnapped so many of my friends where they can't consider another party because of that. I was one of those. 
mm. you know, because I felt strongly about that and had bought the propaganda for so many years. I voted Republican 99 times out of, I mean, if I did vote Republican, it was for that issue. Um, I might not agree with anything else on the platform, but I'm like, yeah, can't, I can't be voting for the murdering of little babies. And we all know now, at least I hope, I think a lot of us do know now, that the pro-life movement is bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, the pro-life mm-hmm. movement is, is, is pro-birth, not pro-life. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're not yeah. pro-life across the board. If they were, if they were, I, I would have so much more respect for the so-called pro-life movement if they were consistent in that belief. And then I want to see you out there protesting against war. Mm-hmm. I would love to see you out there protesting against death penalty. Yep. I would like to see you cherish and protect life everywhere. Yeah. And we might disagree on the abortion issue, but at least I would respect your position because it's consistent. Right, and as soon as your child says, oh, mom, dad, I'm gay, they no longer are part of the pro, in huge quotes, they're no longer pro, part of the pro-life community because that they, they abandon that child. They send that child to the streets to, to hope for the best. So it's like, you're not pro-life. And like now said, you're pro-birth. And after birth, you don't give a fuck about that child, period. Because it's, I, I, it, God forbid they need, they need any kind of subs, you know, like help with like food stamps or whatever you want to call it. Um, social systems. As like, soon yeah, as that like, happens, it's like, life. take care of yourself. Why can't you take care of yourself? It's like, cause you, you made me give birth to this child. Let, let's, you know, they always like to go to the, the nth degree, right? So this child, say this is a child of rape or incest. This child maybe is, it's, it's not the best, it's not the best environment for this child to be born in. So, but they, they create a situation where you have to give birth to this child. And now no one takes, wants to take care of this, this child. And they're like, well, that's your fault. No, it's, I'm sorry. It's your fault. It's the Republicans fault for creating a system that doesn't allow for the safety of anybody to come forward and say, Hey, um, I'm pregnant because I was raped. I'm pregnant because I was raped by my father. And that's, that's just. Yeah, I mean, we're going off on a completely different tangent. Yeah, but, well, it's um, because yeah. it's because it's 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 heartbreaking, you know. Yeah, and but I, I will say this from my perspective, and I've seen this happen in in families more in the last, say, five or six years, ten years, five to ten years. I have several friends who were really, really deeply evangelical, and then one of their children came out, and I have seen them at least, for the most part. I've seen them wrestle with this a little bit and come on the side of their kids. It's not every one of them, but I have seen that more than I, than I, than I would have thought. I was nervous when a, when a friend of mine's kid came out and I'm like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Cause I know where they stand. And lo and behold, after some soul searching and some, some, some conversations, you know, look, they're, 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 they're championing their kids. And so. That gives me a, a glimmer of hope, and I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, th- I just think that this just goes to point that the power of story and the power of humans, because as long as it's an issue, so the abortion issue, the trans issue, the LGBTQ issue, the whatever, as long as we can uh, uh, talk about these things in an issue form, we sterilize them, and it allows us to put it out there where it no longer affects us. But when our stance on an issue now comes into contact with a person, it's a totally different conversation. It is no longer, I don't think that um, trans individuals should play in these sports when your kid now desperately like has a passion to play lacrosse and now you're the one that's sitting in that boat. When we come into contact with personal difference, with the human that is different than us, when we open ourselves up to that, there's incredible power there. There's incredible power to witness and beholding to connect. But as soon, but if we can, if we can neuter that, if we can make it about an issue, we're not going to gain any ground. The true power comes from contact with another human. And so many of the people in my life who are anti-trans, don't have a single trans person in their life. They've not had that, they've not, which, thank God, to an extent, because it's, I don't want the trans folk 
to, to pay the price for that. And also what a sad, sad, sad story because you are talking about something that you have, you have no idea how this is impacting someone else because you're unwilling to open yourself up to another human regardless of you being on different sides of the aisle. But as soon as we, this was my biggest thing, even when I started writing a long time ago and I had really bad opinions about LGBTQ issues because I was trying to solve myself. Like some of my first writings out on the internet were I had figured out why I was gay and this is how I was going to change it. It's terrible. It's the same exact shit that was pushed out by like Focus on the Family back in the 90s. And I didn't even know that. Just me and my like 23, 24 year old wise brain decided I know the real answer and put it out on the internet like an idiot. But the, even in that moment, I could say it's, this can't be an issue. Even then, I had this understanding like this has to become human because if it's not human, we're not going to give a shit. If this is human, we're totally fine with disregarding the humans around us because we don't see faces. We don't hear voices. We don't see skin. We see letters on, on a television screen. We see these stories that have been brought way out of proportion. Like I think especially when it comes to like the whole drag issue that's been happening, like the amount of stories that I've heard, I'm just like, this is... I, I've i never been at a drag show. I've been to quite a few. I'm, I'm homosexual. That have been like this abhorrent that y'all are talking about. Like this is crazy. Sure, in a bar, like, but who's going to bring a kid into a bar? Like you shouldn't be bringing a kid into a bar. But when I, all of that were these like horror stories. Where are, the, where are the really debaucherous ones? Correct. I'm like, where, come on. I want to go to that drag show. And yeah, so it's- all of those. But like this, but as soon, but when we don't have co- connection, like that's yeah, where right. the magic happens is like when there's connection with another human, when I'm willing to see someone as another human, that's what changes lives. Um, and in, as we continue to drift further and further apart and no one's willing to build a bridge or come close or to, again, quote the lovely Ted Lasso, be curious rather than judgmental, we're going to continue to drift is my opinion and get further and further apart. Well, and it's so much easier to hate an abstraction, yes. right? I mean, it's, well, because then it's, you're not evil, <laughs> you know. Right, right. Well, now I'm just now I'm just hating on an ideology, or I'm hating. I on hate it. an ideology, but as soon as you say you hate someone, I mean, that is for most people they would be hopefully batting an eye. Right. There's there are there there's a I would say an infinitesimally small minority of people who are that self aware to go no, I just hate them. You know, they would they would always try to couch it in terms of well, no, 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 no. I don't hate anyone. Yes. Um, yeah. But, but what they're doing is an abomination. And, mm-hmm, you know, I, mm-hmm, I did see a guy, there's a guy, was, what was his name? Matt Walsh. Um, I don't dislike people, but, but I dislike you, Matt Walsh. Um, <laughs> <but he> advoc- <laughs> I do. Thank you, Matt Walsh. Because you've openly advocated for the execution of gay folks. Yeah. Because that's yep. what the Bible says. And he's like, and he's like, well, no, 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 no. I don't mean like I, I wouldn't do it, you know, but the state should and, I would advocate for the humane execution oh of the, God, but, the yeah. this, but these are these are criminals according to the Bible, and we. Should, and I'm like, you, sir, are okay. Now I'm now I do dislike you personally. Uh, <laughs> this is an ideological reserve, issue. This is just yeah, you. This is just you, and I reserve the right to dislike you because you're advocating for the actual harm. Of and, well, and in your book, you you talk about going to a church where they kind of let you know that. And we've all been to this church, and I've been to this church where everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. We love everybody, and it's all candy coated. It's 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 sugary sweet until and there's a butt coming, man. Right until you ask to be a Sunday school teacher, you ask to be not the like for me. Like I, I play bass, right? So I was the bass player in the worship team, but. As soon as they find out I'm not, I'm not gay, but you know, I have some heretical thoughts, right? And I, and I post them on, on, on Facebook. So as soon as I ask, Hey, could I lead one week? Well, 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 we'll have to look at that, right? So you talk about that, right? You're on the worship team and they know you're gay and they're saying to you, they're well, everybody's welcome. And, but you find out, right? To a point. And that, and that point, and, and at that point, you're like, oh, you're all liars. Every one of you are liars because you want to play this game to get butts in seat to, so you can quote unquote convert the heathen, get money into the coffers. But when it comes, when the, when the 
when the rubber hits the road, you're not going to let certain people be in any kind of leadership. But it, it is, it's curtailed in this idea that we love everybody. Yeah. Right? Because apparently my homosexuality is going to get on people if I'm leading the song. Right. But, you know, like, <laughs> well, you, it's not... well, it's because <laughs> oh, you have... Come on, let's well, be honest. We all know this. That there's a gay agenda, and we, right? None of us want to catch the gay. So let's... Uh, <laughs> let's sounds uh, great time. And for all of those who <laughs> like, don't catch the, the, the uh, sarcasm in the, in, in the gay agenda, here's the gay agenda for everyone who doesn't understand. To be loved and to be treated as if you were a human being and acknowledged as a human being. There's the gay and agenda maybe in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, who doesn't want I mean, cheesecake? Well, my body wow. doesn't, but that's a whole other issue. I'm really homophobic that, that, of it. That's unfair, yeah. by the way. Yeah. And that's something I, I absolutely intend to take up with God. For making <laughs> lactose, and that seems the unfairest of all. But That is the curse. Yeah. It is. Yeah, but, I just, this is where I have come to a space where it was Brian McLaren's uh, a more generous orthodoxy. Oh, and what a good book. So mm. good. And there's like two things that happened. One was this thought came, whether through this book or before this book, but it was around the same time. And it was, if we have to have, if we have to believe rightly, all of us are screwed because there's no way in hell, <laughs> literally, well, maybe <laughs> um, that like all, all these religions, only one of them got right. And then even within this religion, everyone's still arguing. Like within Protestant evangelicalism, it is fractured so many times because we no longer agree. And so it's, if, if we have to have correct theology, we're all screwed. But so then Brian McLaren says, so it has to be something else. It has to be something different. It has to be, he would say, orthopraxy. Like, how does our life show up? Um, like, how are we showing up? And so for me now, I give zero shits what you believe, to be quite frank. You mm-hmm. can believe in whatever the hell you want. I start caring when that theology produces fruit that is causing harm to my fellow human. Amen. It, yeah. You could literally believe in, you know, like to, to make the sarcastic joke of this flying spaghetti monster. I don't care. If it makes you more loving and caring, I'm all for it. And so when it comes to churches that will say, that will say, well, scripture or well, this theology or well, this belief, I have now come to a place now where I'm like, fuck the belief. Like I look at the, the life of Christ. And when I say that one, that's exactly what happened. Jesus said, you've heard it said, I say this, I don't care what you think to believe. I'm going to like get down in the dirt with these people and care. And so for the fact that there's a group of people that tote his name and continue to uphold theology over humans, I will never be on that team. I don't care if you can prove it to me. I don't care if you have all this like beautiful theology that like you can like walk me through the verses and you can show me that you're right. I don't care if you're right. I care if what you believe is making you good. And I would say that the fruit that we see that Jesus says is loving thy neighbor as thyself. Like that's what he said should be the fruit. And if I'm not seeing that, which I'm not, I don't trust what you believe. Full stop. Amen. I don't right. care if it's perfect. Amen. Can, can we say at this point then that we, we can hate the belief but love the believer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all for that. I'm all I'm for all, that. I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, and I, I, I used to, uh, I used to pride myself on my ability to argue, and I, and I don't anymore. I, I still can. Don't get me wrong. I just don't care to. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, what you, what you said, and what Brian McLaren said, which by the way, that book was probably, if I had to trace it back, was the beginning of my deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian McLaren yeah. is an amazing human being, who we've had a chance to interview once, and he was great. Ugh. such a good dude. But that orthopraxy side of this is so important because it, so many people betray their so-called beliefs by the way that they treat people. And so you can tell me you love all day long. If you walk out the door and don't love, well, then I, everything else is garbage. So no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And uh, I, uh, I just, I've lost patience for... And I'm, I'm getting to the point where even though I know there's a way to read the Bible and not read it that way, that makes sense. Like, I know there are ways to read the Bible. I know I have a good hermeneutic. I can go through and I can read the Bible, I think, more properly. But even that, I don't really care about. Yeah, exactly. Because if at the end of the day, you showed me chapter and verse where it says, thou shalt hate your gay neighbor, I'm still going to say no. Yeah. I just had this conversation with a coworker the other day. And, and what it came down to for me was, is like, I'm, I'm at the point now where we can disagree about religion, spirituality, all of that until 
what you are speaking causes harm to another human being. And then I'm calling you out on all your shit. Yeah. All yep. of it. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can be Buddhist. You can be Muslim. You can be, I don't, I don't give a fuck anymore. I just don't. But if it harms another human being calling you out every single day, 24 seven, I don't feel bad about it. You can be, you can be, like you said, you can worship the, the spaghetti monster. You can, you can put the colander on your head. I don't care. I don't. But it, if it causes harm to one of my fellow siblings, you and I are going to go toe to toe. By the way, you can, it, it is a recognized religion and you can wear the colander when you get your driving license. And if they don't allow you to, that is discrimination. <laughs> can we take, I'm going to take a screenshot of this. This is the story we're doing because I'm wearing the colander, John. Because you said so. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. And I know we're joking, but that, I mean, it's, Hello, it's a serious point, right? That, it is a serious um, point. That's, that's where I am right now. I don't, I don't care anymore. You can tout, you can spout, you can spew all of your whatever theology, your scripture. But as soon as you harm one of my, one of my siblings, be it a, one of my black siblings, my BIPOC siblings, my LGBTQIA plus siblings, that's where you're going to hear uh, a lot of loud words from me. Yeah. And, and it's not going to be nice. And I agree about like the not caring. I, so I, um, for the sake of like proving that I'm a capable writer, for the sake of like building momentum for the book, all those stupid marketing things that I hate. Right. Like I, I've written for, um, Baptist News Global, like quite a few times. They love publishing me and like love working with them. But like I'll get people, they'll somehow find an email and this happened just a couple weeks ago. And this guy is walking me through, you know, how I didn't have integrity with my relationship to the Bible and walks me through why I used to be like, okay, let's, I can argue with you. I choose quote y'all. I just don't care anymore. I literally, he, he came back with me. Like I shared my point. I'm like, I, in kind words said, I don't, I don't give a fuck. But then yeah. he came back <laughs> and um, was like, you know, you're not doing this. I, I, again, I just, I don't have the patience anymore because I'm like, I don't care if you could like, if you could walk me through like you have this manuscript and you can prove that it is an airtight theology. I just don't, I don't care anymore. And the fact that, and this is to quote a good friend of mine, Kevin Garcia, like where bad theology yeah. is killing people. I think of this conversation that I had with this pastor because he said, somehow I got in the conversation of like, what was the goal of Jesus on the earth? And he says, Jesus tells us blatantly that his goal on the earth was not peace, but violence. And then quotes the turn son against daughter, like son against daughter, blah, 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 like does the whole thing, like father right, against right. blah, 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 blah. And I am just like, this is exhibit A of how theology can cause so much harm because there are so many other verses that we could point to where Jesus says, I have come to, like he literally says that, I have come to, there's lots of them. There's lots of them. It's not just that one. But the fact that your theology gravitated to that one, and that's the one that you're focusing on, that's, and I told him this, I go, that's actually very scary. Because if that is the one verse. I was just, I would go as far as to say as, as, as he's quoting it wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it I says, would too, but I just don't want to, I don't have the time or energy. I'm just like, you're, exactly. if you're causing yeah, I, harm, yeah. I don't care. Yeah. We can argue right. all day long. It's causing yeah. harm. And well, there's and so the, many other verses. Is, once you decide to go down that road, you, first, first of all, you understand that person is probably not being very sincere in their art. They're not interested in your point of view. So the, 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 the possibility of bringing them around to your point of view is pretty small. And then I, I would I would quote and or misquote or let me paraphrase a quote from Brian Zondi would say essentially the Bible's a Rorschach test mm. and how you read it says way more about you mm. than it mm. and the fact that you're gravitating towards yep. these handful of scriptures that seem to paint yep. God in a specific way so as to give you permission to hate the people you already hate tells me more about you yep 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 and I'm with you I, I it, it's you know there's a finite amount of energy that I have. There's a finite amount of time that I have, and I don't want to waste it arguing with people over things that at the, at the end of the day don't really matter. Um, and they're not provable, and they're not, you know what I'm saying? We could all stand there and, and, and probably defend our points of view pretty well. What is provable is that my friend is crying. What is provable is that my friend is bleeding. 
What is provable is that I have a friend that had to flee a state. Like that's provable. I can point to that and say, this is actually happening versus we can argue all day and long around like, is the book of James actually the name of James or did King James throw that in there? I, I don't care. Who cares? Did Jonah actually get swallowed by a whale? I don't care. I don't care anymore. But there is a guy down the street who cut his wrists because you made him feel less than human. And that's provable and demonstrable. So, And Nat and I, I, and I would venture to guess it might be the same person, but we can talk about it offline because I don't, I don't like talking about people. But we also have a friend who had to flee a state because of their might be transgender the status. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bet, I'm going to bet it might be the same person, but let's again, because, Do it offline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, of, because of nobody, certain states but. and the shit they put people through, I don't even want to name their name. Right. But all that being said, what it comes down to me for me, it comes down to for me. And I, I think we, we've, we've been hitting on this and hitting on, and I think your book hits on this too, multiple times is it's not about, it's not about a, like, a feeling about a group of people is about connecting with those people and be and, and understanding their 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 loves, their fears. I didn't understand the gay community at all until I stepped into that community. You know, and God, you know, God willing or whatever, I was able to do this at a very young age. I was I was invited into a community at a very young age when I was 17 or 18 years old where the majority of the people that I end up working with were of the LGBTQ community. And you know, up until then, I've been, you know, I was, I was a church going kid, right? And uh, I was told that these people are an abomination. They are, they are, they are one step away from bestiality, all of this bullshit. And then I got to know them in a, in a, in a, in a community and I found out they're just like me. They have fears just like me. They want to be loved just like me. They want to have relationships just like me. And all of those preconceived notions were shattered. And luckily for me, I, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the verge of tears because I, I was so lucky to have this happen mm-hmm, at such a young mm-hmm, age. Mm-hmm, yeah. And then, then I could, then I could start breaking down my religion to a point where I'm like, I'm choosing this. I'm choosing friendship. I'm choosing love. I'm choosing relationship over whatever you guys, all the bullshit that you guys are touting. And I was able to escape this, I feel, at a very young age. Um, whereas a lot of people are stuck in this. You know, like in your book, you're, you, I, I don't know how many times you talk about trying to like figure out a way to not be gay. I can't even understand. I, I have, and I've been within this community and friends with this community for so long. I still don't understand how how hurtful that is to try and try and try to not be yourself and how damaging that is and how scary that is and how much that must have, that must have hurt. And I, I, I thank you and people like you who write books like this, who are open and honest and brutal and raw and just say, Hey, this is the shit that I had to go through to find out who I really was. All I can say is thank you. I mean, that's yeah. all I can say. Well, and, I mean, <laughs> you paid your penance just by having to be in Ted Haggerty's church. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Is, is yes. that the? Let me ask a, a fairly absurd question, but I think yeah. it, I, 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 sometimes we illustrate stuff with absurdity. But is that the inevitable conclusion of of hating yourself so much for your whole life that that some of this stuff leaks out anyway? In maybe in his case, like aberrant ways? I would say yes. Like, let's look at these, sh- these shootings, you know? Like, I think that like, not to say that every single homophobic action is done by a queer person. I don't think that's fair. But I think there's a lot out there that like, for example, we know with Pulse, that um, the shooter there frequented Pulse often. Um, and so again, this is where it's like bad thinking, bad theology, his beliefs about himself, did transcend beyond him um, and hurt a lo- and killed and t- took lives. And so um, I am grateful for that. I do think that as we repress and push down these things, like I'm a firm believer um, in that things that are pushed into shadow eventually twist and take control of our lives in some way, shape or form, because it's asking for something that we need or deeply, deeply, deeply uh, at some core level, 
want. Um, and to not bring it into the light and find a way to, um, whatever that may be, like, I'm just, it, it could be your sexuality or whatever, yeah, but anything, right? anything, but as, as we continue to shove things into shadow, I, you know, like things mutate in the dark and, um, is, is my belief. And I, I think that's what happened with a lot of people, including Ted, where it was without bringing something forward into the light. You know, um, I sure, I don't, I don't go into details about our conversations, but Ted and I had one-on-one conversations after his whole debacle and talked through my sexual and stuff like that. And there's certain questions that he'd ask me. I'm just like, ah, oh, man, this is, I feel like this is still so twisted for you because of the questions that you're asking. I really just want to love another man, but because this has been pushed into shadow for so long, you're yearning to grab some pieces from me because it's just been repressed um, and put in the dark for so long. Um, I could feel it. And um, eventually I was just like, I, it doesn't make sense for me to continue these conversations. But, um, you know, I, I think also, again, thinking about theology, um, Ted is a product of bad theology too, where it's, um, he's both, um, propagating harm and is also a victim at the same time of this theology that has caged him up. But, it, it, you know, he's still responsible for his actions. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he is. I think that like all of us, we have to really analyze the systems and beliefs that we have and how they're affecting the ourselves and the humans around us um, because it, it really could be life or death. To, yeah. To quote no, I, and I think you're 100% right. I mean, that's, uh, I, I wrote about this in, in my own book where I, cautioned against us becoming too cynical about, you know, even people who had caused us harm mm-hmm, because mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. victims of the same system that they're propagating. Yes, 100%. Um, for most of them, for 99, I mean, I, that's why I don't call out, you know, people in my personal life who've done mm-hmm. harmful things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can recognize in them that they were operating out of a playbook over which they didn't have much control. I mean, it's just the, it's just the script they've been reading for too long. So the understanding, sadly, it will come from the marginalized community. And I've seen it so often. I've seen it so much. I've seen so much more willingness to be open and, and forgiving, um, from, from people who don't really have any obligation to be so due to some of the harm that they've, they've endured. Um, and yet I still see a willingness to say, listen, we're here. And John and I have talked about this a bunch. And I'm glad that your book, that, 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 it, that, it, that it's here and doing this. But I've said it before and I'll say it again. But um, bigotry doesn't survive relationships usually. Mm. I mean, that's usually where those mm-hmm. things begin to break down is some kind of one-on-one connection with somebody. And for some of us, that means being very intentional about those. Like, I don't, you know, I live in a very West Texas, white mm. evangelical Gosh. town, <laughs> right? Yeah. I have to be, that does not mean there's not a gay community here because there's yeah. a very vibrant one. Um, but they are. there's gay people everywhere. It doesn't matter. Because there's ghost <laughs> I mean, like people in my town are still shocked that there are gay people. I'm like, oh my gosh. But there was a point where it was like, listen, it, I want to be intentional about this. I want to meet people that I don't normally interact with so that I can understand. And I think that's great, you know? So yeah, I, I appreciate everything, man. I, I, I love this book. Uh, has it been released? I mean, uh, is that, yes, is it, is it is it, out there in the world. Available? It came out two it's weeks out ago. In the world. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're doing all the all the podcasts right now to like just let right, people know all about the it. Stuff you hate, right? All the marketing <laughs> yeah, and all I the self promotion, all the stuff you're like, I'm not yeah. supposed to do this. But people have been like, oh, like where there's like, are, are you you're gonna write another book? I'm like, maybe. But like, honestly, the job is. The writing part is great. It's like yeah, the it's other seventy percent <laughs> that is that is yeah. hard. <laughs> but I love it, and I really appreciate that it's been good. And thank you so much for having me. It's really meant a lot. Well, let us let us do the self promotion for you and say if you <laughs> have not bought this book, go do it, buy it wherever fine books are sold. If that means you got to go give Amazon some of your money, then so be it. Um, <laughs> if there are but local I bookstores, you, there's you know, there's a local bookstore in your area. Now you we'll can't order the book say for that, you. John. You haven't been. No, to my I'm going to. Here. I'm going to. <laughs> you might. You might have to drive five miles. God forbid. Five miles. miles. I'm the biggest town within a hundred miles. I have bookstores. I have. I have two bookstores in a town of twenty eight thousand. Yeah, but you're a literate community. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you're right. I'm straight on West Texas. <laughs> oh, hey, I've lived here for twenty one years. I've paid my dues. Um, they're, they're, I'm kidding. There's at least one bookstore here, and it's good. Well. And but okay, so okay. That being said, there are really good 
uh, community-owned bookstores who also have an online presence. You could order from them as well. You don't have to order from Amazon. If Amazon is your choice, please well, do it. it to me for free, John. Will they? No, shut it. Anyway, um, those of us who actually <laughs> depend upon Amazon rankings, though, sometimes we have to push. Sure. Yeah, so, hey, I get sure. it. I get I it. I absolutely Brandon's, get it. Brandon's got a heart out here in a second. We don't want to keep him past his time because he's got more self-promotion to do. And we want this book to be a phenomenal success and we might get a sequel. Um, <laughs> man, again, so great. let me just say this. I appreciate you, man. Thank you for uh, coming to us live from inside your closet. Um, yeah. that, that has been amazing. Um, it's, it's making me wish we did video podcasts now so people oh can see God. I wasn't making a joke. Making out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> but amazing book. Man, you're an amazing human. I appreciate everything. And it's just been a joy to talk to you, man. Appreciate Same it. Same with you too. You guys are great. Thank you so much. Truly. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.